people who are like concerned about a specific disease, maybe that's running in their family or they're worried about something, this is not the way to get the answer. Like it's not a back door or like, oh, the genetic testing at the medical center was gonna, you know, cost my insurance like $4,000, but I'll just do 23andMe because it's $99, so it's my genes. It's like, no, not the same thing. I'm Yadira Galindo for N equals one, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N equals one, I'm speaking with the director of the Family Cancer Genetics Program at Morris Cancer Center at UC San Diego Health, Lisa Medlensky, a board certified genetic counselor. For a special project I was working on, I ran my DNA through 23andMe a consumer product that includes testing for the BRCA mutations known to increase a person's risk of cancer. I had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Medlensky about what this analysis can tell me about my health, but before we get to that, she explains the difference between a medical-grade DNA test she might order versus a consumer genetic analysis like mine. And this is in every one of your cells is like a teeny tiny little library of 20 to 30,000 pairs of books. So you've got your blood type pair of books, your do I have curly hair, are my earlobes, like everything about you is like in instruction manuals that come in pairs. So we got one from mom and one from dad. Whole exome sequencing is basically spell checking every single one of those books to look for a mutation which is like a bad spelling mistake and it means that book you can't read it anymore, it's useless. So most of the mutations we find when we do gene sequencing are, it's like you're reading your book and then halfway through it's like suddenly all blank pages. Okay, so this is useless, it doesn't work anymore. Most genetic conditions, that's the type of mutation you find. So in the lab, they're literally sequencing each letter in that gene and then at some point it says stop and you don't get anything else. When we talk about Ancestry or 23andMe testing, it's like they've only picked certain letters out of each book and out of all of the like scrap paper <laughs> that's in the, you know, like all the stuff that's not actually a gene. Um, and so, for example, in, in the BRCA1 book, you've got your BRCA1 book from mom and you've got your BRCA1 book from dad testing that I would order would mean the lab is spell checking every single letter in both of those books to look for anything that means this book isn't working properly. 23andMe or Ancestry might have like 10 or 20 letters in that book and that's all they're looking at. So the confusion comes when people think oh, well, 23andMe said I don't have anything in BRCA1. Isn't that great? It's like, yeah, they only looked out at like 10 out of a thousand letters. So there's no way for them to know if you actually have something going on or not. Now if one of those letters that they do test happens to be one that causes a mutation or means the book doesn't work anymore, that might be correct and it might not be correct. But I would want that done in a, in a proper lab to confirm it. I had my 23andMe analysis report mm -hmm. back and I want to talk through first the important parts, which is the health. The medical stuff, yeah. So just looking at this, we've got the health highlights. 
1.5 times to 2 times more increased risk for cervical cancer, head and neck cancers, and breast cancer. Maybe, but maybe not. But here's the other thing. You are um, in good company because 38% of the population has that same genotype as you. But 38% of the population is Does not, not getting get this. breast cancer. Exactly, exactly. So that's the other thing to look at. It'll always give you a frequency, right? How common is this? And if it says, you know, this causes a 20 times increased risk of a very rare disease, and you look and you see, oh, 50% of the population has my same genotype, am I going to worry about that? Probably. I, I hope not, but a lot of people do. Um, because once you start getting into the weeds with all of this, you can see it's presented in a, yeah. in a kind of a technical way, and a lot of the terminology is not terminology that the average person is using around the dinner table. It's where it might be useful is as part of a comprehensive risk assessment. So instead of saying, well, 23andMe looked at a bunch of SNPs and did a polygenic risk score for diabetes risk, um, and it says it's elevated, so maybe I should do something. It's stepping back and putting that in the context of, okay, I have that polygenic risk score, but I'm training for a marathon, I ride bikes, I'm healthy weight, I eat a healthy diet, there's no diabetes in my family history. Okay, well, I'm not so worried about your SNP score anymore. You know what I mean? So it, it, it kind of gives a lot of weight to the idea that your genes are your destiny and for a lot of common diseases that we know have behavioral and environmental risk factors, um, it may disproportionately kind of plant the seed of, of destiny, genetic destiny, when it, it's not that way at all. Yeah, my husband looked at, was looking at this yeah. results with me, and he was making comments about how a lot of this really does have to do with lifestyle. Yes. Absolutely. And so just making lifestyle changes can impact this one way or another. Right, right. Including diabetes, of course, like we were just talking about. Yeah. So he was like, what was the point of getting this test? There was <laughs> no real useful information. So there are medical carrier tests that our prenatal genetics clinic orders all the time and OBGYNs order all the time. So if a couple's planning a family, they might say, you know what, let's find out if we have a risk of having a child with a very serious medical disease. These are mostly recessive diseases where if you carry one mutation, it has no effect on you or your health. But if a child inherits a mutation from each parent, they will have a serious medical condition. And if you look at the list of most of these diseases, they're very, very serious diseases that are diagnosed very early on in childhood and require a lot of medical care and in some cases are going to shorten the life of that child. So, but most people, this won't be in your family history because these genes can sneak their way through generation after generation. It's only if you happen to partner up with someone who carries a mutation in that same gene and you both happen to pass it on that there would be the possibility of having a child with one of these diseases. How do I know as a consumer of all of this information, which ones are really significant? Like, what can it really tell me right. and what can't it tell me? And that is honestly, Adira, that's the million dollar question because there are, I call them like nuggets of 
truth and medically important things that are mixed in with this kind of sea of polygenic risk based on studies that may or may not be clinically meaningful. So one way to think about it is the difference between what I think of as medical testing and kind of lifestyle stuff. Physicians are going to take this information when, when people walk into their doctor's office and some are, are really interested and some things people find on here is legitimate and true and has in important implications. So the one that, that I think is really actually valuable is hemochromatosis, which is one of the most common conditions in people with European ancestry. Um, and for a lot of people is completely asymptomatic until they hit middle age. For women, um, so hemochromatosis is um, accumulation of iron in the blood. And women who are premenopausal and menstruating are getting rid of a lot of that iron through their monthly cycle. So they will really not often have any clinical symptoms or any problems with this. Um, but men and postmenopausal women, if they have hemochromatosis, it can actually cause um, a lot of liver problems, it can cause joint problems. And the treatment is so easy, you just donate blood periodically. That's it. Um, and that one is pretty accurate, it's pretty easy to diagnose, like it's not a complicated medical condition. Um, the genetic testing is accurate and what 23andMe does is essentially the same thing your primary care doctor or a hematologist would, would order. So that one to me is valuable because a lot of people are walking around and even though their iron levels may be okay now, they might elevate in the future and now there's, their doctor knows this is something I have to watch and there's something we can do about it when the levels do get high. So it's, it's very actionable. And you know, there are cases where it might be like, okay, you have Lynch syndrome, instead of going for a colonoscopy when you're 50 and going every 10 years, now we want you to start right away and go every one to two. That's a tangible guideline, evidence-based recommendation. Um, it might just be that you found out about it through a non-traditional way. Right, you didn't come in and say, five people in my family have colon cancer, I wonder if there's something genetic. It's like, oh, you have a mutation in this gene and most people with this mutation are at very high risk of colon cancer, so here's what we need to do. So, but anything else that's not on this list is kind of up for debate in terms of, well, would this affect my health care? Probably not. When we talk about cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease, and a lot of neurodegenerative disease as well, kind of like the main things that affect aging populations, the genetic influence on those decreases as we get older, and the environmental and behavioral factors that go into those diseases is really what drives most of our risk. The Alzheimer's one is the one that we get asked about a lot as well because there are three variations of the ApoE3 gene. Most There's an average risk one, there's one that increases your risk of Alzheimer's and there's one that decreases your risk of Alzheimer's. But again, it's not predictive. 
it just says, okay, our baseline risk is here, and depending on your genome, um, on these three possibilities, you are either quite a bit higher risk than the average person, a little bit higher, a little bit lower, or quite a bit lower. And right now, there is no evidence-based intervention if we find out you have a very high risk. So a lot of times people are curious about this, but my point with that is that you can't unsee it. Go ahead and do it, but really understand the information, the gravity of the information that you are learning, because it can be life-changing, it can cause um, distress and anxiety, and you should really think about, like, do I want to know this at this point in my life, you know, especially if you're a young person, because most studies are based on people of European ancestry, race and ethnicity play an important role in the accuracy of genetic analysis. That's why if you're considering having your DNA analyzed for health reasons, you might consider speaking with a genetic counselor first. Thank you, Dr. Medlansky, for your insights. For more information about genetic counseling or to find other episodes of N equals one, visit health.ucsd.com. Thanks for joining us.